0: James. Raph. The theme song's too loud. Yeah, people have been saying that in our reviews on Twitter. They say it's a few decibels on the upper end. Okay. Noted. We'll t-
1: just turn it down a little bit in the edit. All right.
0: You know, just yeah. a little bit. You yeah. know?
1: Just vibe. If music comes in loud, just vibe. You don't need to be freaked out. You just vibe on it. Exactly. Taking it in the spirit in which it's given. <laughs> SPF, not in jail. No. SPF in jail check, negative. Still on the New York Times speaking circuit?
0: Yeah, no, he's, he's speaking at their, um some sort of summit that the New York Times is hosting, mm. rubbing shoulders with, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, various other luminaries, as if he's not a criminal fraud. Have you
1: heard about this? It's crazy. I'd like to go. People are complaining, yeah. like, I. Oh, why are the New York Times letting this guy who's just lost thousands and thousands of people, lots and lots of money running a shambolic operation, lying to everyone's face, why are they letting him still speak at this summit? Well, it's obvious. Like, everyone wants to see it. It's made the summit way more popular. It's the hottest show in town. I wouldn't have known the damn summit's on. And I'm a huge Zuckerberg stan. I usually know everything he's doing. And I'm a big fan of the Grey Lady. I'm a New York Times head. Everyone's going to be tuning in. What does SBF say? I mean, what do you ask him? Uh-huh. Okay, I'm SBF. Uh, hi.
0: Picture it. Sorry, what was that? What was up?
1: Hi. How are you going? Yeah, great. What's your first question for me? Picture this. I'm
0: sort of like shaking in my seat <laughs> with anger, not because I'm like absolutely peaking on amphetamines. That's you. You That's should me. you should yep. be shaking so hard your chair is like rattling. Yeah. But I'd be just like absolutely furious. And then I would I would point at you and I'd say, What the fuck did you do? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would do but that, that's why I'm not at the New York Times. I'm too I'm too emotionally invested. That's true. I think all the people are preempting sort of the critique a bit. Let's see how the how the summit goes, you yeah. know? See what he's going to say. If they give him a really softball interview then, you know, go in. But it's an incredible opportunity
1: if he's willing to sit there and and talk about it. No, you know? definitely. We want to hear from him. I want to hear from him. Although he, at the moment it seems his whole vibe is cool. Yeah. I made a couple of mistakes. There's some things I could have done better. Yeah. But I still think I've got a bright future ahead of me. Yeah. There was that interview
0: with um, Vox where the person was talking to him in the Twitter DMs. Yeah. And that was basically his posture. was like, you know, look, I made a few mistakes. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. We've all made errors. Mm. And then he also claimed that his only real error was declaring bankruptcy because people were like around him were telling him to declare bankruptcy. But if he hadn't done that. It was like customers would have been made whole and we would have been back on back on track.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about the follow-up. Following up on FTX, what's happened in the last kind of fortnight?
0: Look, it's our most listened episode ever by quite a wide margin.
1: So yes. we feel obligated to do that. There are some things we did need to clarify that at the time with just kind of whispers and speculation that well, new information has- Come has, to light. Yes, indeed. Well, yeah, he, he claims that there's investors were waiting on the sideline to give more billions of dollars of money and the SBF line is that We did have the money before the run, before basically um, CZ said that he was going to sell all of their FTT tokens, before FTT dropped to negligible amounts before that crash, we had enough. Like we were liquid. We could cover all deposits. Obviously, the question there is though, like, but people didn't deposit FTT and that FTT wasn't liquid on the market, right? Only like 2% of all FTT tokens were out out there. And obviously you couldn't sell all of that FTT, otherwise it would have crashed the price as well. But his claim is basically like we we had as much value as we had deposits.
0: Yeah, I don't think so.
1: I don't think so either. I don't think so. I mean, the question is, off the bat, does he believe that? Yeah, I don't know.
0: I would love to know what's going on inside Sam Bankman-Fried's head. He seems deranged,
1: actually. <laughs> yes. He seems fully deranged. He hasn't seemed to come to terms with... What's going on? Anyways, things that have happened since the crash, since FTX declared bankruptcy. One interesting little tidbit, his parents purchased $141 million US of properties in the Bahamas. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those kind of normal things you just do. Yeah. They're professors, so they'd have a little bit of
0: cash, but- Exactly. They're, they're university, private. they're top shelf tax professors and and what have you. Actually, no, that's just, just his dad. I'm not sure what it is. What his mum does, but another professor. Mm. You know? But does that get you $141 million worth of Bahamas property? I'm not sure. I don't think so.
1: There'd be a lot of professors about in the Bahamas if that were the case. Correct. But you know, not casting any aspersions, just an interesting tidbit. Make up do your own research. Make up your own mind exactly. as to why SBF's parents would have $141 million worth of property in the Bahamas. Another big thing is, like I think we kind of mentioned like Alamada. I think everyone knows what's going on now. Alamada is the the kind of investment fund that was supposed to be separate to FTX, but Sam Bankman-Fried, he started them both. He founded them both. And it obviously became very clear that Alamada was losing lots of money and FTX was using their customer deposits to bail out Alamada. But they weren't just losing money in the crash, like a lot of people assumed, including us. Like the assumption was crypto crashed. Alameda might have been exposed to the lunar collapse and this and that. Prices are going down. They're getting margin called. They're blah, 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 blah. You would think because
0: of the massive market crash, that's why they were in such a deep hole, which would be like completely makes sense because lots of investors in crypto were, including average people who watched, I don't know, the Super Bowl ad with Larry David or whatever and decided to buy Bitcoin. Mm. A lot of people were under because of that.
1: But what's become clear is in fact- Alamada was losing money before the crash. In fact, during the bull run, during 2021, they seem to have lost $3.36 billion. Yeah, which raises the chilling prospect
0: that was far beyond our darkest imaginings. (laughs)
1: That they were just not very good at <laughs> trading crypto. Yeah, that they were really, really bad at trading crypto. And like there are theories around it. The most prominent one is just, yeah, they just seem to make really bad trades. And even in a bull market where everything was going up, they just were on the wrong end of every trade they were in. Or well, not every trade, but enough to lose $3.36 billion. The other theory is that they were market makers for FTX. And we alluded to this in the last pod. But now you're across all that information. We may as well go slightly deeper on that. So a market maker being, I'm an exchange, FTX, I'm an exchange. What you want is for a customer, if I want to buy some Ethereum and I've got Bitcoin on the FTX exchange, I want that customer to be able to immediately purchase Ethereum for their Bitcoin. You know, just it has to happen instantly. You don't want them to be putting an order in and then waiting and waiting and waiting for someone else who's willing to sell at that amount. A market maker provides liquidity. That is, they've got lots of cash. It basically sits on the exchange on FTX. They've got a bunch of, here's the price that I will sell my Ethereum for. Here's the price that I will buy Ethereum for, the spread. And that way, at any time, I can really quickly purchase Ethereum with my Bitcoin. There'll be someone there to buy from me and there'll be someone there to sell, market maker. So it makes the experience of FTX much better. And if you're the market maker, what do you get out of it? Well, you set your spreads for one. You probably have access to the API. Like You have access to basically be able to reset your buy and sell numbers, your spread in real time based on whatever market information you have. So that'll be algorithmic, right? Like, so I'm like, I hear, you know, my target spreads, I'm getting information from these other places, I'm pumping it into FDX. And so I'm making a margin on every single trade because I'm happy to buy and sell. And sometimes exchanges will pay them a fee to provide this service as a market maker on every trade that they make. If you know Alameda was providing these services for FDX, the criticism was always like, oh, but Alameda has inside information. They must be making so much money because they have this cozy relationship with FTX. So they basically know the buy and sells before they happen. So they have all this extra information, which is an unfair advantage. So they must be rolling in it. Yep. That doesn't seem to be the case either.
0: It's, no, it seems like they were just, yeah, bleeding money uh, on a dramatic scale. We were both sitting here working on the assumption that Alameda were genius traders. We really believed that Carol and Ellison and, and the whole team there were savants. Mm-hmm. And to learn otherwise is obviously a huge betrayal of um of everything that we stand for. And the other thing that we didn't really touch on the last episode because we were really focused on getting the information to you in the simplest and cleanest way possible is that we talked about, you know, SPF being the golden boy of crypto, right? Or imagined as sort of the hero. He was on Capitol Hill in the US lobbying. He was considered the marketable face of crypto, blah, 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 blah. What we didn't really touch on is the fact that, yes, that was the public view and the view of him outside of the crypto space, but it wasn't necessarily how he was perceived within the world of crypto. Um, There were a lot of people who thought what he was doing was bad Mm. and he was bringing undue attention on the space. His efforts to become like the New York Stock Exchange of crypto were bringing in regulators, changing the dream of Bitcoin, the dream of crypto as being this unregulated Wild West space where anything is possible and the government's not getting their nasty little fingers into it. Mm. So, as a result, a lot of these people are furious now that he hasn't been arrested. Yeah. And that he is still appearing at New York Times summits, gallivanting around. The media coverage of him has not been as tough as it could be. On Downround, I feel like we did a pretty good job. Oh, we eviscerated it. It's been really interesting to watch the response from sort of the crypto universe to this whole scenario. Mm. Because obviously, as we've talked about, this is like absolutely devastating for crypto, right? Yeah. Not only because institutional money has like stepped back and been like, why would we put ourselves in this world Mm. and get involved in this? Also, the average person, the, the kind of person who didn't already think crypto was like a massive scam is probably way more inclined to think that now.
1: Yeah, well, when their son at Thanksgiving is no longer saying you should put all your money in this Bitcoin thing, in fact, they're saying I'm so sorry that I told you to do that like I wasn't to know. Also, could I please have $5,000? Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, obviously a huge blow for like the space generally. It's been interesting to watch that world be like, okay, well, actually, SPF was a deep state Democrat freak who's in with
1: the elite. Well, yeah, the meme that even Elon Musk shared, thats like, Carolyn Ellison's dad was the boss of Gary Gensler and Gary Gensler crypto something something conspiracy. And it's hard not to read this stuff. I mean, like,
0: to an extent, it's definitely true. Don't get me wrong. He was very cozy with, like, the mainstream elite and what have you.
1: But I don't think it's, like, some deep conspiracy to undermine crypto. It's He saw an opportunity to make lots of money in this middle ground where you invite regulators to the space, you put ads on the Super Bowl, you have Insiders Washington, and you have this speculative asset that's just booming. You're going to make a lot of money if you're able to pull in that institutional money. And for that matter, the consumer market as well, with like high levels of branding and fantastic PR, and as opposed to some decentralized exchange, which no one's going to fucking use. I I
0: I, I feel like there's, but I feel like there's like a counter marketing thing coming from the crypto world where they're trying to like really dispense with any association with this. Yeah. Like that's not crypto. That was a different kind of crime. That was just a regular old financial crime. Mm. He's not involved with us. He's like a deep state Democrat. We are the true decentralized players. That has nothing to do with this, Mm. which I think is kind of a doomed effort because everyone lumps that in. No normal person is like differentiating between these two things. And the other funny thing that I think comes up a lot is that, so there's obviously like a huge amount of contagion from this collapse within the crypto world, Mm. right? So like lots of other FTX linked protocols and exchanges and companies and whatever are all of a sudden facing their own like smaller crisis, yeah. crises.
1: And a couple have gone down, but no major, major no. ones yet. Genesis is like a massive company in the crypto world. Winkle Voss founded the Twins. Yeah. Famous from uh, the Facebook movie, you know, the Twins who Mark apparently stole the concept of Facebook off. Yeah, they-, just they these, these
0: guys is posting L after L, you know, their Genesis is- sort of looking shaky and struggling and pause withdrawals, et cetera, et cetera,
1: it needs a huge cash injection to stay solvent. And that's a big one because there are lots of people interlinked with that apparently. So if that does go down. It is like it's a connective
0: tissue for the whole industry. Um, So if that goes down, it'll be another cataclysmic event Mm. just like FTX was. But kind of the, the, the funny thing I think is, and this, you can read this whatever way you like, is that the contagion has not spread at all outside crypto. Totally. It really does support the kind of thesis that crypto is sort of like a funny money casino with no relevance at all to the wider financial sector. Totally. That, that it can have like a Lehman Brothers collapse. I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong, a lot of people have been stung by this. Yeah. A yeah. lot of normal people that were using FTX and or some FTX linked business or one of the businesses they acquired or whatever have you. And I'm no doubt feeling a lot of pain at the moment. And obviously, my heart goes out to you. But- In terms of like broader systemic risk, nothing has really eventuated. No, totally. So it's a real kind of like a victory for the regulators who were like, no, we're not going to integrate this in any wider way with the financial sector.
1: Yeah. The broader fear obviously is if you start regulating something more and integrating it with the financial sector, then you'll get all these derivatives on the actual stock market and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That are seen as as more safe because it's regulated. And so like it gets a credit rating and pension funds can start investing. And then yeah, obviously you have all the contagion problems. But no, it definitely seems like yeah is akin to a casino that people were just randomly gambling on yep but alternative to the to the sports bet thing right that's another theory right now that like one of the reasons for
0: yeah so it was one i saw being about on twitter is that one of the reasons that crypto has been suffering and the crash happened and it continues to escalate or whatever is that a lot of the inflows that used to go into crypto now go into sports betting now that that has become widely legal in the u.s yeah and people are into like fan duel and you know, draft kings.
1: Which I know Australian listeners would be like, what do you mean? Like, that's been a big thing forever. Because, yes, down here, obviously, we're pumped with sports betting ads. Yeah. And to be fair, I still feel like it's gotten worse down here, but it's been, they've been around for a long time, sports betting apps. But in, yeah. in America, it's a relatively.
0: Yeah, no, it's only recently that it started to pick up. And we'll, we'll do an
1: episode on this, I
0: think, because um, someone DM'd us on Twitter about doing a sports betting episode. And I think we will at some point. Yeah, that, that's one of the theories that people that would at one point have like gambled on shit coins now just bet on sports like normal people (laughs) (laughs) um the other the other funny consequence for all this stuff is for our friends the venture capitalists the vcs i think the previous five years or whatever probably even less actually in vc have been really funny in terms of crypto fomo basically mm. all these like really classy firms with a lot of reputation for due diligence and like Sound investments like companies like Sequoia. We talked Mm. about Sequoia in the last one. They published that tongue bath of an article (laughs) of SVF like a week before he went down. And now stuck with the fact that they were like really cautious about this world, but obviously looked at firms like Anderson Horowitz making like a fuck ton of money, and were like, we got to get some of this. Yeah. And as a result, they pump money into companies like FTX, which clearly any level of due diligence would have revealed were empty husks with nothing going on. Well,
1: that is one of the most surprising things out of all of this, that literally people making investments for billions of dollars, well, for hundreds of millions of dollars at billion-dollar valuations, multi-billion-dollar valuations, did no due diligence. Yep. They didn't look at the books. They looked at a few slides of a presentation and like the charisma of the guy. And, you know, there's stories coming out from other investors who saw the deck Provided some feedback and suggested, here are a few things that we would need to do to invest. And FTX basically came back literally saying like, haha, fuck off. Yeah. And I guess so. they had so much money thrown at them and- so many people wanting to invest that if any investor suggested, hey, do you mind if you answer Peek these? Of the hood. Yeah, can you answer these 10 questions or can you provide some feedback on these? They would just say, no thanks. And the FOMO was so great that they obviously didn't. Plus the fact, obviously, as we've talked about Adara before,
0: money was free for the past like decade. Mm. It's not even a crypto thing. A lot of companies that had shaky business models, the unit economics didn't really make a huge amount of sense, still got money like pumped into it because the environment no interest rates, blah, 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 really incentivize that. So yeah. it's not just the crypto problem. This is obviously one of the bigger consequences. Rather than just a failed
1: company, you have a gigantic fraud, essentially. Yes. And all the people that are like, how oh, oh, pres- that? As someone who started businesses myself and raised money myself at very early stages, right? Very early rounds. And yeah, at your earliest of early rounds, where you're getting kind of angel investment, seed rounds, it is more of an idea or a concept or like we've done a limited go-to-market with a certain amount of people, tested the product. Yep. We think that there's a there there. We think that having some money will allow us to effectively expand. Then you're moving, you get rapid growth in the early days and You can show, like, we actually show quarterly reports and statements, we show balance sheets at this still very, very early round. In my mind, when you're doing series A's and series B's, these massive rounds, I assume that you have accountants in there, like in your zero, basically, like going through everything, going through inventories. But apparently- No, you've just got a, you've got a vibrator. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> apparently, yeah. You It's still, I assume for some, I assume, well, Sequoia was supposed to be one of the ones that did famously, they did their due diligence. Yeah. But, I, and they've been, they've been around since like the seventies the or whatever, sixties, I can't remember.
0: They're like an old firm that has gone through multiple generations of power. They're like an institution. It's not, just a VC throwing around money from uh, venture partners or whatever. This is like a
1: firm that's meant to have like a bit of history and a bit of like seriousness and systems and processes. But it shows that FOMO is still presumably a partner of Sequoia was just like, give them the money. Yeah,
0: we cannot miss this opportunity.
1: Why haven't we closed the deal yet? Exactly. And uh, that all
0: gets thrown out. And this is what happens. This is what happens, folks. This is the down round lesson. Do your due
1: diligence. I really missed a trick. Really should have gone bigger a couple of years ago. You should have. You should have. Yeah, you should have um, released a a coin. Yeah, I know. If I'd gone hard on crypto instead of being like, hold on, none of this makes sense, (laughs) released a coin, done a huge raise at a huge valuation, gone public virus back, I wouldn't be sitting here, mate. No, exactly. What might have been? You're in the doldrums, exactly.
0: On a podcast here with me.
1: (laughs) Anyway, we'll launch the Patreon next week.